delight to worship with you today. My name is Matt Cruz. I am one of the pastors in the life of our church. Um, I am a bad sinner who has received incredible grace from Jesus. And one of those graces is the mercy to be given the ministry of the word, to go to the words of God with you, that you might hear them and understand them and be changed by them and live from them. So the time that I have with you now is to bring us to the words of Scripture. Uh, We are preaching from the book of Genesis on God's intentions for us as human beings, as men and women. What was God getting at in fashioning us? We've covered a lot of ground. For the next two weeks, we're going to talk about the two different places or spheres where God calls us to live for his glory, the home and the world. This week is the home. Next week will be the world. Before I begin and pray, just two things to make sure that your mind doesn't run in these areas halfway through this sermon and that you give me the chance to get through this. So one thing you may think is, he's preaching on the home, he must only be speaking to moms. Not true. Some of this will hit moms in a unique way it's supposed to, but not true. All of us, men and women, married and single, have to get a vision for what our homes can be to the glory of God. So this is going to everybody in the room. The second thing that you may have your mind raced to is, I think this guy is saying that a woman can never work. So I'm not going to say that, but you're Bostonian, so your mind may race in that direction. Not true either. Don't hear that as I'm speaking. Let me get to the end of us, and we'll tie some of these things together. Okay, there's your intros. Let me pray, and we'll press into it. Father, our thoughts are not your thoughts. And our ways are not your ways because we are sinners. But in the gospel, you have set us free from our sin. You have set us free to now obey you and walk in your good intentions for us. So we devote ourselves to the clear teaching of Scripture today. And I know it's wildly countercultural and difficult, but also beautiful and life giving. So I pray that we would take hold of it today. Anything stupid or silly that I might say, would you wash it out? And instead, would you let each of us just walk from here, loving Christ more deeply? That's our prayer. I pray that you would hear it and answer. Amen. Okay, let me start here. When I was 23, I was a teacher and a basketball coach, and I coached what was called the JV team. Are you familiar with this acronym, JV? That stands for Junior Varsity. This was the team for the kids who were not big enough, not skilled enough, not strong enough, not grown up enough, not capable enough of being put against real-world high school competition. So they got stuck on the JV team. Now, you know what JV means, right? So JV had the hand-me-down uniforms. Do you know about those? The shorts were about four inches shorter than the varsity shorts, 
and the strings were gone, so they better be snug or you're going to be in trouble. The uniforms would have one number kind of flapping in the breeze. JV's practice time was very short and very early, and they would just get bumped right off the court if varsity needed it. The JV kids had to sit where on the bus? At the front of the bus, and they had to double up in those seats. Did the JV team get to use the real basketballs, the good ones? No, we used the junk balls. You know those balls that come out of the rack at Toys R Us, Dora the Explorer is on there, you do this. <laughs> I'm trying to coach a team and the ball's flying off to the left, it barely fits through the rim. This is the JV team. Nobody ever came to the JV games except for who? Just mom and dad and grandpa and grandma. No one cared about JV. And what was the big goal for anyone who was on the JV team? What was it? One day, maybe they would be allowed to move up to varsity. That's where the real action was. If you wanted to be somebody as a basketball player, if all of your talent and all of your capacity and all of your effort and your energy was going to be worth anything, it was only going to be if it was on the varsity team. And JV was not varsity. This is how your culture, Bostonian culture, thinks about the home. Here it is. We say this. The home is JV. Family, the private sphere, that's JV. The world, the marketplace, career, the public sphere, where everybody can see you, that is varsity. We've established this hierarchy in our culture. You know the language that we use. Work done building a career or a business or a company is vastly superior to work done building a home. We separate those two and then we put them better and worse. You know this from the way that we use the word work, right? We're going to see that this is not how the Bible uses it, but we use it this way. We won't even sully the word work by attaching it to the context of what happens in our homes. Whatever happens in the home doesn't qualify for this word work anymore. You've heard the question, right? If someone is asked, do you work? What's at the bottom of that question? Do you work outside of your home? I don't mean whatever happens inside of the home. That's some other lesser category or activity. That's how we think. We separate them, and one is less than the other. Why would we think this way in this hierarchy? Why would we think this way? It's because by now, 2015, American Bostonian culture, we have a tiny little view of what our homes are. If you want to read a fascinating series of books, there's this trilogy of books on womanhood by a woman named Carolyn McCulley. Among other things, she traces the history of the home through the scriptures and then through American culture. She says, the home used to be the center of life, a center of productivity, a center of family and industry. But now, 
no more, no longer. She says, now that the home is good for only two things in our eyes, I, write them, I wrote them down as these two words. The first is mundanity. That's a trick. That's not a word right there. I made that one up. Mundanity, and I'm going to give you vanity in a second, so I just wanted to rhyme this morning. Mundanity, I mean the mundane stuff. What am I talking about? We go, eh. What happens in the home is just mundane things like I sleep there, I eat there, I shower and shave there. Home is where all of those lame, boring, not very challenging, not very sexy activities are done, like cooking, cleaning, mowing the lawn, taking out the trash, vacuuming the rugs. If you have little ones, things like reading Dr. Seuss over and over and over and over again, changing diapers over and over and over and over and over and over again. Who would want to be stuck there? Who would ever devote their life, their energy, their time, their creativity, their talent to that mundanity? If you're going to leave your mark on the world, that mark has to be left outside of this. This is lame. This is necessary, but it's boring. And the second thing that the home has become, and she defends this beautifully, is a place of vanity. So there's the mundane, then there is the material. In American culture, the home has just become a place of consuming and collecting and showing off our stuff. This started with Yo! MTV Cribs in the mid-90s. Am I the only one who remembers that show? And it's continued in better, bigger and badder ways with reality TV, right? Come look at my home. It is a statement of my wealth and of my hipness. Look at that TV. You've got to see this rec room. i got a pool table. You're going to love it. We Bostonians are shallow like that. And so our homes have become shallow like that. She says it like this. Just a place to store your stuff and showcase your taste. I store my stuff there, and every now and then I get to showcase my taste. So feel this. I sleep there. I eat maybe one meal a day there. And I impress people with my setup and my goods. That's about all the home is good for. Everything of value in life happens outside of those four walls. That's our world. Then you come to Scripture, which is so distinct from everything that we hear in our lives. And in Scripture, the Spirit insists that the home is something much, much more than mundanity and vanity. It is something that comes from the very heart of God to us. And it is for his glory and our joy. All right, let's go to the text of Genesis. I'm going to make two vital, simple, straightforward points with you, and we'll work through these together. So the first one is this. God established the home as the epicenter for making his glory known in the world. Trying to raise your esteem of the home this morning. God established the home, and he did it as the epicenter 
of making his glory known in the world. So this is from Genesis. God has created a man and a woman. He has called them together to be this new one flesh reality and he gives them this charge. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Okay, now I know Genesis says things succinctly that then have like life-altering ramifications, but can you feel the Lord establishing two spheres, two realities of the life that we live together in his mandate to us, his foundational mandate? He begins with, be fruitful and multiply. What does that entail? And I'm speaking idealistically, hear these words idealistically with me. That includes be married, have children, grow a family, build a home. It's the command of God to men and women, the home. And then from that reality, what? Fill the earth, create culture, subdue, run this joint holy. Make my glory in which image you are created spread across the world. Do you feel this? So what happens here, near, in the home first, the epicenter, now echoes out to there, the world and culture. This means that the home and all the realities that attend it were intended by God to be the epicenter or the launching pad for accomplishing his purposes in the world. Do you know what I mean by the word epicenter? What is that word? Anybody know where that word came from? The epicenter, I had to look this up, the epicenter is the point on the earth's surface directly above the focus of an earthquake. Now take away the negative connotations of earthquake for a second epicenter is that spot, that place, that one area from which, boom, the ground is influenced and affected and changed and shaken for hundreds and thousands of miles beyond that that one spot. Do you feel that? That is the power and the influence and the glory of of the home, that one spot out of which incredible effect and influence comes. All right, Scripture talks to us in terms of three different realities of the home at least. I want to paint a picture of these with you so that you can feel them. These are ideal. This is without sin. This is Genesis before we became the sinners that we are. So I want you to feel this as good. All of us were raised in dysfunctional homes. Every home is dysfunctional, some differently and more pronounced than others. I get that, but I want you to think of the best of your experiences with home in these next three points. Get that in your heart, the best that God had for you in your home. Okay, the first is this. The home is a place of safety, and this is of unbelievable value and worth. It's a place of safety. Home is where men and women and children are safe and loved and nurtured. It's where our happiest and most formative memories are supposed to spring from. 
Think of the warmth that comes with the best of your childhood memories. Go there with me. You're going to feel like a Pop-Tart in a second and the toaster just, oh. I remember sitting on the steps with my mom and my brother at like 5.15 waiting for my dad to get home, waiting for him to get home. Do you feel that? I remember running buck naked around the first floor of my house because she was so furious I hadn't learned how to pee in the toilet yet that it was like the summer of love for little Maddie Cruz. <laughs> I can still feel like just flying around that living room with no clothes on. I thought it was awesome. I learned my alphabet at our living room table. I sprained my ankle once taking the trash out and I remember waiting again for my dad to get home to see if it was broken. My mom on her knees praying with us. Was I loved in that home? Was I accepted in that home? Was I disciplined in that home? Was I safe in that home? Yes. God intended for the home to be that place. In Tim Keller's Center Church, when he's painting a vision for the value of the home, he says these words, hear them. Home, according to scripture, is a place where life flourishes, spiritually, physically, socially, fully. It is the place where physical life and health are sustained and where our most intimate love relationships are nurtured. You feel that? It's this kind of place. Rebecca Jones, in her really helpful book called Does Christianity Squash Woman? Answer, no, but that's the name of the book. She says, I've talked with thousands of women in American culture, and there's four things that they desire. She lists them out. Number one, good relationships with men and women in their lives. Number two, children. Number three, significance. And then number four, I love this, long for it, a place to call home. And then she says this, I don't mean only walls and rooms, mundanity and vanity. I don't mean only walls and rooms. I mean a safe place where we can be without fear. Do you feel that? We need Strong, safe, deep, meaningful relationships that anchor us. We need a place where that all exists. That is what God intended your home to be. Does that sound like JV to anybody in this room? Okay, next one. Home is a place of discipleship. So again, I could preach till 2 in the morning on all of this. Read through the Old Testament and the New Testament and you will see that the home is the epicenter of mission, that God invades the hearts of men and women and their children and sweeps households into the kingdom of God. This is how God works through the home. Home 101 is a family where children whose parents love the Lord are discipled to love the Lord. That's what the home, it's a place of instruction of nurture, of discipline, of care. God intends for it to be that. At the end of our Kalos track this year, I gave the women who are in there a book called Radiant. It's just this awesome book with biography after biography after biography of holy women in church history. 
In that book, he profiles a woman named Nana and Anthusa. And this was his paragraph. After the first few centuries of Christianity spread across the Roman world, its greatest growth as the church came in the nurture of the children in her midst. This was the 300s A.D. As always, the day-to-day task of bringing children their first impressions of gospel faith in Christ fell primarily to Christian mothers. In the 4th century, Nana and Anthusa raised their sons, John and Gregory, to become great leaders in the church, and they in turn drew thousands to the Savior. I love that paragraph. Okay, let me translate what he's saying. You had these two dads and these two moms. And notice that the dad is unknown, but the mom is known in church history. Nana and Anthusa. They had a vision for their home being a place of discipleship. And the end result of that was not just that John and Gregory loved Jesus, but that thousands, thousands came to know about the gospel. Gregory is Gregory the Great. Have you heard of him? So his book has been unbelievably helpful to me in pastoring you. Gregory the Great, written in the early 1400s. What happened there? A devotion to the home changed the world. A devotion to the home changed the world. Does that sound like JV to anybody in this room? All right, one more. The home is a place of hospitality. So I rocked this with the little kids so that I didn't have to take up the time to do it right now. Don't forget that image of the open door. Read through your Bible. And what do you see is true about the homes of those who have believed the gospel? Those homes are ground zero for mission. That door is always open. That table is always ready to welcome people. The home was the place where they invited the neighbor, the sojourner, the stranger, the poor, invited them into that home to love them and feed them and gospel them and care for them. In other words, the home has always been for the Christian a beautiful place, not just of safety for us, not just of discipleship for my kids, but hospitality for whoever Jesus might send. Does that sound like a place of JV importance to anyone in this room? I could probably keep this list going. When God brought Adam and Eve together and he said, build a home together, this was not a necessary evil. It was not a boring and lame and unfortunate command. The home is of in estimable dignity and worth. Okay, if that's true, then I am safe to move on to the second part of this sermon. It's the other big truth that Genesis and the scripture has for the women in this room, and that's this, that God has this place of unbelievable dignity and esteem. He has distinctly, uniquely infused women with both the calling 
and the capacity to build the home strong. Theologically speaking, we say that a woman has a, an ability and an orientation to the home that a man just can't have and doesn't have, and that this is the intention of God. Right, we see the seeds of this in Genesis. Again, Genesis says things succinctly, and then the rest of Scripture works them out. So we see that when God creates Adam, he says, Adam, you work and you keep. You provide and you protect in a unique way. And then Eve joins him in all of God's purposes with him working and keeping and her coming alongside to help him. We looked at the beauty and the glory of that in masculinity and femininity. God also wrote this into a woman's body, into her body. I mean, just think about this. It is breathtaking. The living God saw to it that the female body would have the capacity to conceive and carry and bear and nurse and nurture life. Sons and daughters created in the image of God. Perhaps the most grieving thing that I've read in this past year, getting ready to preach this series to you, was that a woman, I read, she called the womb a curse. She called it a curse. So the opposite is true. It's a blessing that God would infuse in women the capacity to join him in the creation of disciples who would rejoice and live in his presence forever. And in doing that, you have this special capacity for women, for children, to be near you and cared for you that we just don't have. The body means something. It's a shout out from God of his intentions as he enables it to be. And then, of course, we see this clearly in Genesis, in the woman's curses. Sin breaks everything that was supposed to come easily to us and naturally to us, and now it's a giant struggle. And when God speaks to the woman, where does he warn her? She will now have a place of struggle because of a sinful heart in her marriage and in her bearing and raising of children. God is not saying, yeah, that's, that's not for you anymore. He's saying, it's for you, it's supposed to be beautiful, and now it's going to be hard because of sin. Okay. Do you feel this? This is why godly women have always loved their homes, have always worked hard for their homes to be awesome places of safety and discipleship and hospitality. They've gone, whoa, time out. If the home is all that Scripture says that it is, and if I am uniquely suited to building, shaping, and leading that reality, I'm in. I'm in. I want to invest myself in seeing this place thriving to the glory of God. What higher calling could there be? This is grace of God to me. Right now, our church, church history, and your Bible, this is so easy to preach to the women in this room. I love this. I could start mentioning names in here. I could start mentioning names in church history. We could run through your Bible and look at Sarah, Rebecca, Abigail, Lydia, Jesus' mom, John Mark's mom. We could do that. Instead, I want us to see this in the clearest place that it comes to you in the Bible, and that's in Proverbs 31. 
Proverbs 31 is the clearest example of what this looks like in a woman's heart and what it does not look like. That text is an acrostic poem. You know what that means? A is for apple, B is for bumblebee, C is for... There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so there's this beautiful poem that uses all 22 letters and gives proverb after proverb of a beautiful, godly woman. It is the celebration, actually, of a composite of all that could possibly be true about woman. So it's like Wonder Woman. Every time I read Proverbs 31, I expect the soundtrack, dun, 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 Wonder Woman. Go home and pull up Hulu.com and search for Wonder Woman and just listen to the anthem. Okay, I lost people on that one. This is a celebration of a super-powered woman as if all the goodness that could possibly be in one woman was jam-packed in her. And it is about how she gives herself to the world and to her home by seeing that her home thrives. Okay, now I'm not going to read all 22 verses to you, but if we did what you would feel is the ridiculous awesomeness of this woman, it's like the women of Seven Mile Road. I'm looking at you right now. Wonder Woman, unbelievably talented. This woman could win American Ninja Warrior, Chopped, and Dancing with the Stars in one weekend without breaking a sweat. SAT, what do you get? 1600? 1650 on her SAT. She can shoot a bow straighter than Katniss Everdeen. She can sew faster than... Who's that lady from uh, Little House on the Prairie? Laura Ingalls. She would out-negotiate Mark Cuban. She could do anything. Full ride to Harvard. That's who this woman is. Think of all that capacity, all of that intelligence, all of that brilliance, all of that self-discipline, all of that in the life of a woman. Now, what would Bostonian culture say to this woman. You can't waste all that talent or even a tiny bit of that talent on the home. There's a whole world out there to be conquered and to leave your mark. Please don't waste it at home. But what does the Proverbs 31 woman do? She takes all of that skill, all of that capacity, all of that intellect, all of that energy, all of that talent, and she happily pours it into a thriving household. Here's one of the summary verses from this. I should have put that up already. Proverbs 31, Wonder Woman. Okay, here's one of those verses. She looks well to the ways of her household. She looks well to the ways of her household. Does that mean that she never put shoes on and she was barefoot and pregnant for 40 years plus? Does that mean that she never intersected with the workplace, the marketplace, the world? I mean, no, if you went and read Proverbs 22, you'd be stunned to see all the places this woman went and all the things that she did, and all the talents that she had. That's not what that means. What this means is 
all of the activities of her life because of where her heart was were for the good of and the thriving of and the dignity of and the strength of her home. She looked well to the ways of her household. She esteemed her home and she knew if this is strong and vibrant, the mission of God will be accomplished here. Okay. And you say maybe she did that, but she definitely dragged her feet while she was doing it, right? Wonder Woman like that stuck focusing on her home. She was going to give God a mouthful when she got to heaven and said, I don't like the way you set this up. But this is Proverbs, this is Hebrew culture, so she did what she had to do. Is that the tone of this text of Scripture? Was she grumpy about this? No. Verse 13. She works with willing hands. Two beautiful things done right here in this verse of Scripture. First of all, what does the Spirit of God attach the word work to? I love this. He's not afraid to put the word work in the context of the home, is he? I love that. And what was the posture of her heart? She worked with willing hands. She was all in. She wasn't dragging her feet. She loved what God had uniquely called her to. Her heart was in it. We might see those two verses and say, okay, fine. These Jewish people... They got giddy about the home. She saw it as being valuable. Maybe she had a good heart about it, but that is weak right there. That's weak. That's JV. Here's what the psalm says, and I love it, and please don't miss it. The woman who lives with this orientation in her life, this at the center of her heart, strength and dignity are her clothing. We think home, JV, weak, ridiculous, anyone could do that. We think home, petty, mundane, there's no dignity there. How does the Spirit of God feel about the home? Strength and dignity are her clothing. What wraps her? Strength and dignity. She understood the dignity of the home and she gave herself to it. Okay, if all of that is true, then it's no wonder that discipleship in the New Testament for women includes words about an awesome home. That's no surprise if what I've said is true so far. For example, in the middle of this gospel-drenched letter to Pastor Titus, gospel-drenched, explosive gospel, he gives a curriculum for the older women loving and training the younger women in the life of the church. And he says, train them to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, and then he drops this bomb on us. Train them to be working at home. I love that working and home have come back together, but what goes off in your head when you read those words? Another translation that's even more offensive is busy at home. Doesn't busy at home sound like, oh, cooking, cleaning, and all the main mundane, ridiculous stuff that doesn't take any creativity or talent? Got to be busy at home. Can you see that that's not what this verse is about? What is this verse about? 
It is about putting her energy, her heart, her blood, sweat, and tears, her hustle, her abilities into seeing the home become all that it could be. This is what Paul was saying. Break a sweat in this place of immense dignity. Build that place to the glory of God. All right, so we'd summarize it like this. Christian women happily devote themselves to the health and the thriving and the good of the home. All right, let me work to application, and I'll start. I wish I had a computer program that could vape out all the men in the room for this part. So this part is just to the women in the room. Is your heart there? I am not talking about you having a job or not having a job. That's not what this sermon or this truth is about. We've got women in this church who are fully devoted in their heart to the doctrine of the home, who work. We have women in this church who are fully devoted to the doctrine of the home, who do work. It's all different cases in this church. This is not about your involvement somewhere else. This is about your heart. Where is your heart? Do you value your home the way that Jesus values your home? Do you marvel at and get excited about this call to see well to the ways of a home? Or do you see your home and the work that needs to be done there as JV, beneath you? Have you bought into the lie that work done outside the home is of true value and work done inside or near or for the good of the home is eh? Does your heart underestimate what God intends to do through the health and the thriving and the dignity of your home? That's the only question that I want you asking. From that place, all the details of work find themselves out. Is my heart fired up about the home and this home being strong to the glory of God? Right now, I am not ending there because like I began with, this is not a sermon just to a subset of our church. This is everyone. So here's just to the men in the room. Christian men happily enable and encourage the health and the thriving, and the good of the home. I want you to ask your question that. Do you see what happens at home as JV and the real stuff going on in your household is when you're out the door? Do you give your wife an attitude when she is seeking to build your home strong and just kind of demean that? There's a million ways you can do that. For me, it's always about money because I'm a cheapskate. Like, why are we buying mulch right now? Who cares about the dirt and the ground? I should care. Why? This is my home. It's a place of hospitality. This is a place where we together are trying to show off the beauty of God. You think it's okay to invest a little bit of money there? 
one of the most helpful rebukes in my life, and there have been a lot of them. I had an attitude because we had this wrought iron handle that when you walk down the stairs, you don't fall. What's that called? Rail? Bannister? Okay. And Grace wanted to make that sturdier and more beautiful and get wooden thing. And I was like, it's a rail. The thing's fine the way it is. Who cares? And I was with a pastor who was counseling me. I was like, I don't want to spend money on some stupid wooden thing. The rail's fine. And he rebuked me. And he said, get the better banister, you fool. Your wife is seeking to build a beautiful home of discipleship and hospitality. You got to be for that happening. Is your heart there? Is your heart for whatever it takes to come alongside and help and encourage and enable your home thriving? Is your heart there? Okay, and then last to all of us, all Christians. So I said at the beginning, this is not just to men and women who are married. This is to anybody who has a home. This is to single people who own a condo. This is to two guys who are roommates in an apartment. This is to all of us. All Christians devote themselves to the health and the thriving and the good of the home. Ask yourself today, is my home just a place where I sleep and I eat and I cook and I watch some TV? Or is my home an epicenter of the advance of the gospel of safety and discipleship and mission? Here's how I think about it. If there was a fly on the wall in your house for 10 years, would that fly be filled with the Holy Ghost by now or not? If all they saw and they heard was your esteem and your love for and your affection for the gospel in your home, would the fly be like trying to get in some water and get baptized? Would the fly know more about shows on TNT, USA, and TBS? Or would he know more about Scripture? Would the fly only know that the only people that live in this house is like three or four of them? That's it. Or would the fly be like, I can't believe all the people who have been through this living room and this table and this yard and loved by this people. We have an opportunity in a culture that despises the home to love it, to build it, to do it as a team together for God's glory and our joy. This week, be asking about your heart and then let Jesus figure out the details, right? All of us are different places of marriage, of divorce, of income, of number of kids. Our histories are different, so our present is different. You figure that out, but you figure it out from a place of esteem for the dignity of the home and all that God intends to happen in that place. All right, let's pray together. Father, this week, burn in us a vision for our homes. I pray when we go home, they would just not look the same again. I pray that we would see to it that they become places of safety and discipleship and hospitality. Whether we are male or female by your design, I pray that we would embrace and be devoted to our homes. I pray that our kids would grow up to love 
having grown up in a Christian, God-centered, gospel-centered home. I pray that you would provide for all of us as we seek to give our heart to your intentions for us, that we would not miss the glory of your gospel, that our homes would just beat and beat and beat for it. If that's going to happen, our hearts need to be changed. So I pray that you would do that work in us and do it for us because our joy is there. And we just want to thank you, God, that the heart comes from your home, that you intended for our good in that place, and you have been so good to us there. We rejoice in it together. Amen. Amen. All right, thanks for listening to that. This-